Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz. And you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website at sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U-M-A-T-I, sparks.com, like sparks are flying. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight, I'm thrilled to have as my guest my dear friend, Caroline Carrington, who is an internationally acclaimed neo-tantra and pleasure expert. Caroline offers private sessions, experiential workshops, and retreats, and is the co-founder of the school Sarasa Tantra. Welcome to the show, Caroline. Thank you so much, Sumati. It's my delight to connect with you this evening. I'm so glad you're here. So I've always loved your beautiful accent, so maybe you could start by telling us where that comes from, or where are you from, or how'd you get your accent? (laughs) Thank you. It is often one of the first questions that people ask me, so I love it that we're starting here. And uh, while I've learned to roll my R's in the last 13 years of living in, in the U.S., I grew up in South Africa, and then I lived in London, Australia, New Zealand, uh, before coming over, actually for Burning Man, which some Ooh. people know is happening right now. So, yes, my accent right. is a mixture of all of those different countries and influences and continues to ebb and flow uh, as does my life. Wow, well, I feel really honored that you ended up right here in, in good old Oakland <laughs> after being in all those amazing places. <laughs> well, the Bay Area has a unique flavor, and for me, there's so much creative energy here, be it in Silicon Valley or in the ways people experiment uh, around their sexuality and even the Burning Man culture that, that was so vibrant and exciting to me. Uh, and it was really my dream to live and settle here. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And, and I, I know that it's really unique because I was just in Southern California in a suburb of L.A. for my high school class reunion. And my high school mm-hmm. classmates are just dear, authentic, wonderful people. But trying to explain to them what I do, <laughs> they just, their eyes glaze <laughs> over <laughs> They couldn't quite grasp it, so we're we're really blessed to be with the community that we have here. So um, let's start by talking about your experience with polyamory and open relating while we're on the topic. (laughs) Yes, that's a great place to start. And I was really introduced to polyamory uh, 13 years ago by, uh, by the man who was the whole reason I ended up staying. And uh, unfortunately, I was in a pretty dysfunctional, I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this, but anyway, a dysfunctional polyamorous and burning man community. I'm not saying they're all like that, but the one I was in was like that. And it was kind of a baptism by fire because I got to uh, have all these experiences that didn't really work for me. 
um, because they lacked integrity and open, honest uh, communication. And that's really what's, what got me excited about Polly. Uh, I really like to openly communicate and dance on the edges um, of having those difficult conversations and the things that people can sometimes avoid uh, if they're in, you know, doing a monogamy uh, model in their relationship. And right. for a while after I left that um, that relationship, I, I actually wondered, like, was I poly or was I monogamous? But in my own exploration, I realized, like, I love getting to explore myself and other people and really getting to share the resources that are out there, knowing that I don't have to get everything just from one person, that I can have mm-hmm. a multitude of people, <laughs> um, or at least a few different people who meet different parts of myself and who, who I can explore and and play with. And that keeps things mm-hmm. quite interesting and exciting for me. So it sounds strange, but it started off very dysfunctionally and I got clear on what I didn't want. Uh, and that really helped me better understand the kinds of open relating and polyamory that I do want. Got it. So that relationship that had you stay in open, was that part of the kind of dysfunctional community or did that relationship work out okay? (laughs) Well, we ended up getting married um, and having a baby. So there was, there was certainly a deep dive into that relationship. Um, and it really, I think, came out of the, the inquiry. I'm about to get a little metaphysical on you. Uh, but saying I came to the Bay Area after Burning Man, and I was like, I so want to stay. And I said to the universe, how, how can I find a way to stay? And my son was obviously that answer. <laughs> Someone has to be careful what we wish for. <laughs> right. And and I, I, I really like what I learned in that relationship, but it was clear we were quite different people. And uh, it was also beautiful to watch, uh, even in my interactions with some of his other partners, how if our primary relationship would have worked, these partners were amazing. But I needed space for my feelings, even if I wasn't asking for, you know, behavior modifications. I, I'm a pretty expressive person as you already Mm -hmm. know and the listeners are discussing but so when there wasn't space for me to have feelings come up about things that were unfolding in our open relating that's when I started realizing this isn't what I signed up for and Mm -hmm. uh, so I made made different choices and started Mm -hmm. calling in more of what I wanted versus Mm -hmm. uh, what I'd been introduced to and so now, how do you identify yourself? Do you, do you identify with any of the terms like polyamorous or non-monogamous? And, and what, what's your, what type of poly do you practice now? That's great. I, I still identify as polyamorous. And I love it that I also questioned that for a while, <laughs> that it didn't become my new default. Um, and the kind of polyamory I do tends to be with um, 
more committed partners. Uh, and I, I tend to be with people for quite a long time. I, I have done a lot of sexual exploration um, sort of in my 20s, and I'm a little older than that now. So I don't feel the need, for example, like there's a term polyfuckery, nothing wrong with that, but it's just not where I like to put my attention. And having now dived very deeply into uh, my journey into Neo-Tantra and understanding the energetics behind connections, I like to go very deep with people and then uh, be with them for quite a while. So... I do best when I have a primary relationship and then I have some um, secondary or tertiary or I'm not that into hierarchy, but I do really well with a primary. Um, and life often unfolds, at least for me and my poly, in unexpected ways. So I had, I was dating three different people, one for five years, another one for four years and another for three years. I'm all at the same time and they, they offered different things, but I, mm -hmm. it wasn't that I was closed off to connecting with others, but I'm, I call myself a connoisseur. So <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. I like to I be love mindful that. where I put my attention. That's beautiful. I'm glad to hear that because so many of us are just afraid to be alone and we'll just take whoever comes along. So I love that that we, women especially can cultivate their connoisseur. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've decided picky has far too much of a negative stereotype. So I've rebranded right. it as a connoisseur. <laughs> right. <laughs> Excellent. So you've used the term neo-tantra a couple of times. So can you define that for us? Yes. And I want to qualify it by saying I'm going to give my definition. And if you speak to 10 different people, they could all have a slightly different take on what that means. Um, mostly for me, Neo-Tantra is a, an embodiment practice of dynamic meditation with a focus on sacred sexuality. So I support people in getting out of their heads and into their bodies while getting more connected with themselves, their partners, and the divine. Mm, and beautiful. it's, thank you. For me, it is a deeply spiritual practice. And while I certainly will invite my students into that, it isn't that for everybody. So I like to meet people where they're at. And some people just want to learn to have better sex. And Neo-Tantra is really great for that. And it's so much bigger. Uh, than just the focus on uh, sacred sexuality. And I want to highlight that I am really uh, differentiating between Neo-Tantra and Tantra because um, Tantra comes from uh, India. There's a Buddhist and a, and a Hindu, well, Buddhist and Hindu lineages. Uh, but this is really taken by the Westerners and looks quite different. So a lot of people ask, you know, do you do, do you teach Tantra? And the short answer is yes, but I like to be very specific that while I weave certain aspects of classical or lineage Tantra into both my personal and professional practice, it really is the more Western style that I am qualified to share.
Mm-hmm. Well, I think that sacred sexuality is so important. I, I've been part of the people that judged it for the way that we've Americanized Tantra and made the focus on sexuality. But now I realize how much we really need to bring the sacred into mm-hmm. it. If you just look at, you know, the, the Catholic church and the sexual scandals and, and uh, you know, our president and um, all of the powerful people in places of power and the Me Too movement and all the abuse. Um, it, it, don't you believe that that really comes out of repressed sexuality and the lack of sacredness? Absolutely. And I tried for a while. When I was in college, I was very heavily into the church. And I'm not knocking any person's choice of faith or or religion, but they kept trying to tell me I couldn't have sex. And I tried Mm -hmm. very hard. (laughs) And I just realized that it it didn't make sense to me. So I kind of said, if this is your deal breaker, then I have to opt out. And the church I was mm-hmm. in at the time, it was. So what I love about Niyatanta is that everything, including our sexuality, including the parts of ourselves that are seemingly taboo or our shadow sides, even that can be part of our devotion. Even that mm-hmm. can be a way we love our partner more deeply. And when I was in India studying classical uh, Tantra and like the Tantra of sound, I, again, I questioned, I'm like, am I doing it all wrong? This is very different, you know, in India to what I'm doing in, in America. And I realized I want to meet Americans and Westerners where they're at. And the reality is we are pretty repressed, which is why, yeah, which is why all these sexual issues keep creeping out. So if we make space mm-hmm. for them and bring things from the shadow into the light, I think that that really supports us in moving past some of the challenges. So repression hasn't worked for me personally, and I think we're seeing that on a on a large scale right now, internationally, right. that it hasn't really been working for many people. Right. And so is that how you got involved with Neo Tantra? from not being satisfied at church or or was there some other pathway into it? (laughs) Yeah, it was a much longer journey than that, I think. Uh, I'm going to have to give the edited version, I imagine, uh, for your show for the sake of time. Uh, So I had always quite unconsciously been a seeker. I remember doing yoga, for example, and headstands in the clubs in London in, should I say the 90s? <laughs> now I'm going to date myself, but in the race scene, right? Which wasn't very conscious at the time, yet I was looking for ways to play with energy. Um, and I had been quite experimental in my sexuality. I'd, I'd uh, you know, started identifying and practicing polyamory, and I had also been, we didn't talk about whether I can talk about kink on this show. Yes, you can. It's rated R. I can. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I had been exploring in the kink or the BDSM world. And, you know, San Francisco is the perfect place to start discovering that. So I'd already had a lot of openness in my sexuality and, and deep exploration 
And I want to qualify something I said earlier, like I don't want to shame anybody just because I, I'm choosing to be more conscious who I'm, I'm connecting and practicing with. If you've just come out of a long marriage or you're having your own sexual awakening and you want to play and be with pe- lots of different people, you have my blessing if that's where you're at. I just think we need to honor where we're at at different times. But I was up in Oregon, uh, yeah, up in Oregon in a field full of hippies at a kind of a community gathering that's uh, very focused around open relating and workshopping and living in community, at least, you know, for a few weeks to really be in a living experiment of what this, of what open relating and bringing sexuality into that can be like in a very conscious way. And there I met somebody who was into energetic sex, which is related to Tantra, but, or Neo-Tantra, but um, feels a little more goal-driven to me. But anyway, it Mm -hmm. introduced this energetic component and it blew my mind. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's often how the universe hooks me so much with, um, with the juicy carrot of, uh, yeah, the potential of connecting with somebody yummy. So anyway, I suddenly had an experience of my sexuality in a whole new dimension. And I was like, I have to learn more about this. And a month after that gathering, I ended up uh, meeting a tantra teacher and he said, I'd love to teach you a little bit more about that. <laughs> and we started dating for nine months. And that's really what took me into the deep dive around this. But initially, it was really all about the good orgasms and the better sex, which is why <laughs> I don't shame my students for wanting that. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So do people have to be polyamorous to practice Neo-Tantra? Absolutely not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I love your question um, because so often people think that you, you do, you know, have to be into open relating or, you know, be a yes to a a 50 person orgy to practice Neo Tantra. And for me, there's nothing further from the truth. I often find that it's the universe's cosmic joke that has kept me single. I'm probably going to create some trouble saying that on your show tonight. But anyway, single for the best part of the last year to prove that you can you can be single. You can even be unpartnered and mm-hmm. practice Neo-Tantra. So I should probably also share that my version of uh, of connection is quite liberal. And I often invite my students. Uh, for example, at some of the neo-tantric rituals that I run to connect with as many different people as they can, but we're fully clothed and there's no genital touching. So it's pretty safe. We're doing things like Mm -hmm. breath work and learning how to touch with awareness. But so the more people you do connect with, the more you're going to learn, right? And that's true of anything if you're learning to play a duet on the piano if you just learn to play with one person uh, it's going to give you a limited range but if you've practiced with 10 different people 
then there's uh, more spaciousness for you to expand your skill. So mm -hmm. you can be monogamous, absolutely. And you can also be single or anywhere on the relationship spectrum. Mm -hmm. So when couples go to one of your rituals, do they ever get triggered with just doing the breath work or the eye gazing or the fully closed touching because that's outside their boundary? Do they have to have sort of polyamorous conversations around agreements and boundaries? Hmm. I think it's always wise if you're going out in a, a group with your partner to have had a conversation around what your expectations are. I think that's true whether you're monogamous or having some kind of open relating, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. The invitation I create at the beginning of my rituals is to say my invitation is to work with as many different people as you choose to on that evening and mm -hmm. if a couple wants to come and just dive deeper and deeper in their connection together I totally celebrate and support that mm -hmm. and there are couples I, I coach privately and sometimes I'll say to them you know for the very first time I want you to focus on each other and then after that once they have more understanding of what takes place uh, then, then they can decide where they want to go from there. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. But sometimes so a very triggering path as well. And for example, I had a, a class the other day just focused on breath work that was totally an individual practice. And one of the participants, you know, had some triggers show up. And that's because the practices can be quite activating as we mm -hmm. move energy through the body, things can come up. And I think that's healthy because then we get to look at them. And that came up even though she was sitting right next to her partner and there was no requirement for her to engage with mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. So maybe old memories or feel, repressed feelings come up from breathing, from doing the breath work? Yes. I mean, there are lots of different kinds of breath work you know, even outside of the, the uh, realm of Neo-Tantra, I mean, there's holotropic breath work, which I don't teach, but even that just consciously moving breath and energy can definitely activate uh, and sort of help jiggle out memories that are trapped in the body, literally even in the fascia in our muscles. Mm -hmm. um, but a big part of why I've become so passionate about teaching this is when we do work somatically, uh, we can actually, so when we're going just beyond the energetics and we're working with the body, we can help release those memories and often trauma. I'm a trauma survivor, so we can release the trauma that's held in the body and help people move beyond that. And it's a big reason why I didn't become a therapist because I, I think therapists are wonderful. I have a therapist myself. And, you know, therapists have rules and regulations where they can't touch. And I think there's so mm -hmm. much value in this touch-deprived society for us to really touch and hold and connect with each other. Right. And so you call yourself a pleasure expert. So can you talk 
about the word pleasure. Why do you feel it's important mm-hmm. for people to include pleasure in their life? Um, so much so that it's in your title. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm just thinking that where, where to jump off on that question. <laughs> I, I love using pleasure as the access point for transformation. And what I notice is often when we give ourselves permission to open to pleasure, our bodies naturally open, often our mouths open, and, and sound comes out, and there's, there's place for pleasure and energy to move. And while it's important to, you know, think and, and be using conscious communication and, and reflect uh, on some of our challenges, one of my teachers, Krishna Das, says, you can't think yourself out of a problem. Mm-hmm. And I love that because we so glorify the, the mind in the West. And yet we're a whole body system. And I notice that as we give ourselves permission to feel again, we get more in touch with all of ourselves. And pleasure is a really fun way to access some of the deeper parts of ourselves. Often much more fun than sitting there talking. That's not that I don't talk with people. I spend a lot of time talking with them. But it's so much deeper when we do it through the body. And so pleasure creates this beautiful gateway uh, to open up uh, places that might otherwise have remained shut. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine that people who've been sexually abused or had some kind of sexual trauma in their past would need to go through some degree of healing before they can really embrace their pleasure. Is that true? No, I work with quite a number of trauma survivors. That's my own bias, and I have deep compassion uh, for people that have endured trauma. And probably the number one thing I've learned to do is to really slow down. Mm -hmm. And in the slowing down and really listening to what the person needs, to first feel safe <laughs> uh, long before we've even gotten to touch. You know, maybe in some of the more extreme cases, I might touch somebody's hand or like get up to their elbow in a, up to a three-hour session. And that might be as much as they can handle. But there can still be pleasure present in that. Or there can be pleasure and safety created for somebody in the slowing down enough to notice that they're not ready for any more and that we need to be in stillness and pause. So I like working with the body because even people that say they can't feel anything or they're numb, one over time can learn to open up, you know, and experience more pleasure but with trauma survivors, it it's really is about slowing down so that you're listening to their nervous systems as well. Because there's, there's a bigger conversation going on when trauma is present. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you. And so how do you make sure that your workshops feel safe for women um, 
and I, I hate to bring up the binary gender descriptions because mm-hmm. I understand that people are on, on a spectrum, um, but I've experienced it at workshops where there's hetero cisgendered men who are um, kind of sex deprived and eager and needy, and um, I just feel like it's hard to relax and choose a partner. I feel sometimes that there's um, I'm being stalked. <laughs> so mm-hmm. how do you deal with that masculine energy in your teachings? So are you asking me how I deal with people that might feel more predatory or are you asking how I create safety for the woman? I just want to clarify your question. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. How do you create safety for women by, um, is there some way that you help men to feel abundance so that they're not Mm -hmm. so needy and so grabby for female attention. <laughs> mm. Thank you. That's a really important, important question. So firstly, I start with a lot of compassion in this touch deprived world. Sometimes when we're, when we're allowed to open the box and given permission, people don't know what to do with that. And so I view it as my role to create the boundaries and hold the boundaries of the container and make agreements with the group at the start before we engage anything more than a grounding practice. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I'm very clear, you know, at my neo-tantric rituals that we don't do any genital touching. And I do that specifically because most of us know how to mainline straight to the genitals, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're not learning anything about slowing down. And the number one Mm -hmm. thing that I hear from heterosexual couples is the woman says to me, please, can you teach my partner to slow, right? Mm -hmm. And then I have compassion because the men are fighting biology, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Which is get it up, get it in, get off, and then kind of move on to the next one. (laughs) And and that's just biology. So if if we look at it from that sense, then we're not making anybody wrong. So no mm-hmm. genital touching. And then we often, we do a lot of heart-focused practices in, in my work. And I actually do a demo, which is a little hard to do on the radio, but I, I show them and I say, I put my hand on my heart and I say, this is where the heart chakra or the heart center is. And then I grab my own breast and I go, and this is the breast and this is the only breast. <laughs> That's going to be touched by me in the room this evening. So I kind of make a joke of it, but I had to create that evolution because, you know, hands were moving. And Mm -hmm. it's really important to me that attendees of all genders feel safe. Mm -hmm. So I think having clear communication and agreements up front is important. I also invite anybody if they need assistance uh, with anything to raise their hand and I'll come over and check in with them. So it's not about the other person and necessarily making them wrong, but I I support the person who's asking for extra assistance. We also go over consent, which I mean, I think has always been important, but has become even more relevant in the age of Me Too. 
And everybody can learn from that conversation. So I invite people, if they're going to do an exercise, to come from a place of authentic yes to something. And if they're not that, to default to a no. And they can always come back another time and see where they are that night. I also have assistants mm-hmm. in the room, um, and I normally pick uh, those that I identify as women as assistants so they can jump in if somebody's not comfortable with a partner, or they could choose to sit out and take a break. So there are lots of options that mm-hmm. are created. And I also watch the room like a hawk, <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm watching people's faces just to see. And it's only ever happened once where I watched a woman, I could, was just watching her body language, and she didn't seem happy with what was happening. And I went and checked in, and she said, I'm fine. And I let it continue for a few more minutes. And I could tell she really wasn't fine. And I actually, I pulled her out of the exercise. And afterwards, she thanked me. She said, I just couldn't find my voice. So, yeah, those are many of the things that I do. And then afterwards, I mean, consent is so important and safety is so important. So afterwards, I actually asked my assistants if there was anything they saw in the room that I needed to be aware of that perhaps I missed so that we can be more mindful. And if there's a problem, I'll go and offer extra support to... uh, to the person that may have made a transgression or misunderstood or, you know, afterwards and say, would he like some extra coaching? Uh, because I think that's important. Oh, thank you. Excellent. My dog decided to bark. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. And we're speaking with internationally acclaimed neo-tantra teacher, Caroline Carrington, who is a pleasure expert and also offers experiential workshops, workshops and retreats. And we were just talking about how she creates safety in her rituals. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about some experience. I don't know why. Maybe because somebody just gave me Psychology Today magazine about men and the Me Too movement, but I'm stuck on this thing about men right now. So one more question. Um, how do you find that Neo-Tantra transforms men and their masculine energy? Mm. I am going to limit your question, if I may, and say how does it help transform and maybe support men? Can I answer that question? Yeah. Yes, because transform assumes that they need to be transformed. I get it. (laughs) Right. Well, some do, and some are doing great, right? But most of the people that are coming to my workshops are there to learn, right, in a very fun setting and in a very experiential Mm -hmm. setting. But Mm -hmm. nobody teaches us how to have sex. We're all just magically meant to figure it out. And, for example, when I was uh, breastfeeding my son, that was supposed to be the most natural thing in the world. Yet I still needed a lactation consultant to help me get it mm-hmm. right. And so it's a similar mm-hmm. thing when we're learning, uh, learning how to have really good and even transcendental sex. So I start with compassion for the men. And I go, wow, they're showing up. They want to learn to be more conscious 
right? That's why they're in the room. And mm -hmm. depending on their upbringing and the culture and, you know, whether they grew up in America or not, there's often a, in the Bay Area a wide spectrum um, of, of experiences in the room. And I show up firstly in a place that's honoring of them. And if there's something that's, uh, and, and, and all the exercises in these rituals are guided, so it invites people to slow down and it invites people to learn how to touch with consciousness and awareness. And for example, the word slow is, is relative, right? Just what does slow down mean? So I'll demonstrate normally on myself. And if I'm noticing somebody needs uh, additional support, and that could be somebody of any gender, I'd go over and with their permission, I'd demonstrate, say on their arm, what I mean by slow. And often you watch their partner respond, and now they're getting feedback. Oh, that they're doing a good job. And most of us want to know that we're doing a really good job. So mm -hmm. I've seen people with Asperger's or people that really come in pretty unskillful in the beginning. Uh, as they keep coming back and doing these practices again and again with you know, there's a different tapestry of people in the room each time. I've watched them really expand and grow. Uh, and then they feel even more amazing about themselves. And touching into what you said about Me Too, I feel like we're swimming in the soup of Me Too these days. And there's a, I'm not a man, but I'm imagining there's this wounding. That's certainly what I see in my private practice where Men don't know how to be. They don't know how to show up. They don't know how to be sexual beings. So, you know, because the old paradigm doesn't work anymore. So now how do mm -hmm. they be? Mm -hmm. And we give them a, a, a new palette to paint with. And we give them permission to explore in a way that's safe uh, for each person they're engaging with. And I think that's very mm -hmm. empowering. Yes, that's beautiful. Thank you. I love that. Oh, good for you. I'm so glad you're doing the work you're doing. <laughs> Thank do you, you. Do you find, yeah, do you find uh, any benefits specifically for non-monogamous people practicing Tantra or Neo-Tantra? Mm. Uh, well, the short answer is yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> At, at these neo-tantric rituals, I, I often call it the, the neo-tantric version of speed dating because you come to one of my events and you're going to, uh, you know, have a five to 20 minute guided exercise with about 10 new people, 10 or 12 new mm -hmm. people each time you come. So it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I've, I've done some speed dating things at, at conferences before, but you, you normally get about two minutes with the person and you can hardly get a question out and this way you're getting to actually feel into their energy and and get a whole different sense of who they are and how they're going to interact with you in a very safe way so mm -hmm. i think it's it's like a playground <laughs> <laughs> for those that are not monogamous to come and uh, kind of try before you buy. You know, <laughs> you can have all these 
many, many speed dates. And uh, I would say to my students, I'm not available to date you. Uh, and there's no expectation just because you've shared a, a lovely exercise with somebody outside of this space. But if you wanna, if you wanna ask them out, ask them for their phone numbers because I don't give out people information. And it's it's sweet right. to watch the connections weave in community. That's very lovely. So, what would be the best way for somebody to start exploring neo tantra? Hmm. So I don't believe that you can study an energetic practice without a good teacher. So I would invite people to find a good teacher. And if you go uh, and if people look on my website at carolinecarrington.com, they'll find a blog post about how to find, a, it says they're a tantra teacher, but we're talking about neo-tantra, uh, how to find a teacher that you can trust. And it gives you sort of a checklist you can go through. Um, but just like if you were um, trying to learn Hatha yoga, the yoga that's most in the, in the West, like you can learn from a book or a DVD, but you need somebody there to support you and, and uh, course correct, you know, as you are, uh, as, as you are starting to develop your own skill. And answer mm-hmm. says is also an energetic practice to, to tap into the energetics, I believe, and I'm going to speak Californian, Northern Californian, woo, uh, that you've got to sit mm-hmm. in these energy fields to really get the, get the download, get the transmission. Um, and I, I think uh, neo-tantric rituals, which are often called pujas in uh, the neo-tantra world as well, that's a great place to start because it's guided. And you don't have to know anything. Um, and at least at the events I run, we sort of build systematically. So it's a good entry point. Um, yeah, diving right into advanced practices that involve the genitals. It's not that people can't do that, but, you know, that's like diving right into the deep end without having any foundation underneath you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. neo-tantric ritual would be yeah. my recommendation. Beautiful. And so I see you started a school, Sarasa Tantra. What inspired you to start that? I love this question so much. Uh, you're asking me things I'm so passionate about. <laughs> so I love Neo Tantra because it, it has the potential for so much um, expansion and transformation and healing for people. But with all the light, there's always the counterpoint of the shadow. And I referenced that blog about how to find a, a teacher you can trust. Um, and I wrote that really because I was starting to see um, people posting on online forums and uh, I was cleaning up sessions, other people's sessions in my private practice, where people unfortunately had been um, really harmed by practitioners they'd worked with or, uh, you know, it was being taught from the front of the school that you had, not my school, but other schools that you had to, like, have sex with the lead teachers. And often that was just part of the, the culture and the norm. And I was getting to the point in my, in, 
in my own offerings where I hadn't yet set up a, an official school. I was teaching individual classes. So I was sending my students onto some of these other schools. And kind of as with any organization, the more, the closer you get to the inner circle, the more dysfunction you see. And I was just seeing people really get injured and a huge lack of integrity. Um, and I just wasn't willing to have my, to put my students in harm's way. So mm. I felt like, you know, even though I, I continue to speak up about uh, schools and, and lineages that are out of integrity, I was like, the best solution for me is to build something where I can hold myself and my colleagues and then the teachers I train accountable because I actually have, and I, I tell my teachers this, you know, I want to hear from you if you've messed up and then we can fix it. But I don't want to hear along the grapevine. You know, we get to be human and, and, and uh, we can't expect that there'll never be any errors that we need to be aiming for creating as much safety for these very edgy practices. Um, mm -hmm. So because I journeyed so much in my own exploration of sexuality and I don't have sexual trauma, I feel like I have every other kind of trauma, but <laughs> no sexual trauma, sexuality was a playground for me. And I didn't really realize until I was doing this professionally, working with people's sexuality is deep shadow work and some people mm -hmm. get lost in the shadows so mm -hmm. I wanted to bring integrity back to this work I wanted to be able to hold my colleagues myself and the teachers that I trained accountable and uh, that's where Sarasa Tantra came from mm, beautiful so do you teach people to become Neotantra teachers in your school absolutely so there's a lot of people are so excited. They come and experience the practices and they're like, I want to teach this. This sounds like amazing work in the world. And it is, and it's a, a, a journey. So at the very least, I invite people to have come to some of my events uh, first so they can get a flavor for what I'm teaching and check me out <laughs> uh, before they just dive into my teacher training. And, and often uh, coming to one of my retreats is a great way to do that because we're engaging mm -hmm. multiple practices in these energy fields uh, over a number of days, often a weekend or a week. And um, then uh, we, myself and my colleague, Julia Tyndall, who co-founded Sarasa Tantra with me, then we teach uh, something called the Sarasa Tantra Group Facilitator Training, where they can learn how to facilitate groups uh, around these neo-tantric rituals and mm -hmm. it's kind of like drills we teach them like we teach them the practice and then they've got to do the practice and then they've got to teach it to mm -hmm. their cohort <laughs> and get feedback mm -hmm. from us so it's a mm -hmm. it's a wonderfully juicy learning environment and so that teaches them how Thank you. <laughs> How to um, hold space for group dynamics. And then I also do some mentorship for people that are wanting to learn how to offer one-on-one. -on -one. How to work mm -hmm. with people one-on-one -on -one or in a couple. But yeah, mm -hmm. it takes a lot of practice. Awesome. So other than your school having really high integrity, 
and support for the shadow, what is unique about your school versus other schools? Mm, thank you. Well, for me, uh, Julia Tyndall and I bring different lineages into uh, into the mix. So as opposed to having come just out of one school, I've studied with a range of different teachers, both in the West and in India. So I'm weaving mm-hmm. some classical tantric elements in and also looking at where these practices originally came from, which is often mm-hmm. missing in the neo-tantra world. Julia has studied uh, in India and Nepal, and um, she has a Hatha yoga background. And so she brings in parts, for example, on the chakras that are, are pretty unique and a pretty deep dive. Um, I also noticed that I come from corporate originally. I used to work on a hedge fund and at Merrill Lynch on the largest trading floor in Europe. So Julia and wow. I know how to run businesses. I know. <laughs> well, I'll have to write a book about my life journey. Not quite there. But um, we know how to run a business and actually do this successfully. And I see so many people that are really, really good teachers and have no idea how to market their business or put themselves out there or actually make money. And if you Mm -hmm. live in the Bay Area, (laughs) you have to be able to pay rent. So, Mm -hmm. So, for example, we really cover solid business practices and then Ooh. offer this ongoing community of uh, support so that uh, you get guidance even beyond beyond the training. Beautiful. And do you have um, ways that you support people who really want to dive into this practice on a daily basis so that they're not just going to a ritual and coming home back to their life, <laughs> um, but so they can really live the the Tantra lifestyle on a daily basis? Absolutely. So about once a week, I send a newsletter out with tips and tools and videos to support people wherever you are in the world, whether you're able to come to my classes or not, you can get a a weekly dose there. But uh, you and I are connected on Facebook, Timothy, and Mm -hmm. Uh, I spend a lot of time there and I share mostly what's happening in my own practice and in my own world, be it mantras or uh, videos I've created on Facebook. And we have a whole online community of, uh, I I jokingly say, 5,000 of my closest friends around the world. But so many of the people interact. And I have somebody who works for the United Nations come on retreat uh, in Mexico with us this year, and we met on Facebook. So that's a way to really tap into this global community, and it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Uh, You can see what I'm up to. You can see the things that are inspiring me, and we can be in a conversation where we're raising awareness uh, and inspiring each other on our path. Mm, wonderful. I have all the bases covered. <laughs> That's great. Well, congratulations on your school. I love Julia as well. It's a beautiful partnership that you've created. I took a little mini class with you at a festival this last spring and it was very powerful. So you guys have great chemistry together. Thank you. It was such an honor to have you in our class and beautiful to be amongst the redwoods 
normally I'm in right. classrooms and it was so lovely to be out in nature with you. It was the most beautiful workshop venue ever. <laughs> <laughs> we just could have dialed the temperature up and set on that afternoon, I think. Right. But it was a little chilly, yeah. Hopefully the high elevation. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> we try to mm-hmm. bring the energy high to help people warm up because that's a, mm-hmm. it's always a solution. <laughs> right, right. Well, thank you so much for being my guest tonight, Caroline. It was lovely hearing more about what you do and who you are. And I want to give you plenty of time to tell our listeners how they can reach you. And I believe you also have a gift for them. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. So I, after meeting Julia Tyndall, actually, I redesigned the whole way I was running um, my tantra in the world. And we started offering retreats together. And uh, my next retreat actually sold out in about a week and a half. So I have to tell you about the one after that. (laughs) So Julia and I, yes, (laughs) Julia and I uh, love the magical energy in Joshua Tree. And we're going to invite you to delight your senses and nourish your soul for a weekend with us. March 1st to the 3rd uh, in the magic of Joshua Tree. We'll be at the retreat center and we have wonderful uh, caterers. Uh, When we ran the retreat last year, people were like, this is the best retreat food we've ever had. Mm. And plenty of ecstatic uh, high octane uh, practices with a dose of uh, bhakti yoga, which is this yoga of devotion and some hatha yoga. Uh, mixed in as well so I believe you're going to drop the links in where did you say you would put them so people, the people show can notes. find out about it so if you, yeah the, the show, show notes. notes so if you when you click on the link to listen to the show you'll see all the notes there wonderful and yes we uh, I want to go and inject Southern California as part of why we're going to Joshua Tree I go there about mm-hmm. three times a year, but we 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 love mixing Northern and Southern California at this retreat. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we actually had people fly in last time from Albuquerque, and uh, I'm trying to think where else. So people came from all parts of the country. So plenty of mm-hmm. time for people to plan ahead in March. Excellent. And so what are the rates of that? Or is there um, an early registration uh, or anything? Yes. Yeah, so believe it or not, we already have, we love honoring people who sign up early with discounted tickets. And the early bird tickets are already sold out. <laughs> they just Ooh. sold out this weekend. But um, we have some discounted tickets. Uh, and all you have to do is put your deposit down for 275 and you can pay the balance later. All the prices are listed oh, on uh, the, links that, the link you'll send them. And we have two couples rooms, a couple rooms upgrades. So if you are coming as part of a pair, uh, you might want to snag that sooner rather than later uh, so that even outside of class time, you can keep the fun rolling. Excellent. Well, that sounds really fun. I'll have to... Pencil that in my calendar and take a look at that. <laughs> Would be wonderful to be in Joshua Tree with you. Uh-huh. Okay, Caroline. Well, thank you again for being on the show. You were delightful, and I wish you all the best. 
What an honor, Sumati, to be invited and to get to connect through play and words and energy with you. Thank you for this opportunity, and uh, I look forward to more soon. Okay, see you soon. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we'll be speaking with Lori Handlers, who calls herself a sex and happiness coach. She's an international workshop leader um, in the, uh, I believe she's in the ISTA community and other communities. So tune in next week at the same time, 6 p.m. Pacific time, Leading Edge Love Radio with Sumati Sparks. And find out about the sex and happiness coach, Lori Handlers. Good night, everyone.